market for a brand new home if you haven't driven by the woodvale subdivision golden and weaver buyer incentives on going 1700 square feet three to five bedroom and this is again this is all tailor-made for those of you who want a brand new home you don't want to do any remodeling and you want the ease that all our building company gives you of having a showroom floor with all of the the, the the aspects of a home that or the house that make it a home are in one location. Those important decisions like the faucets, the fixtures, the the hardware for the cabinets, the color schemes, the backsplashes, uh, that's all those are all decisions that one has to make and it can be daunting because oftentimes you have some you know this store that sells these and this over here that sells those and uh especially if you sometimes want the the higher quality uh then you find yourselves at in stores that offer just those specific uh items because they specialize in them and that means a lot of traveling around and you're busy right all our building company they have it all on one showroom floor so you really have for those of you who are looking to get a new home and brand new at that tailor-made for you in that subdivision again that's the woodvale at golden and weaver and um and then all our building company their showroom floor uh in in ozark and it's just as convenient and quality as you can possibly get you can find all our building company under Nick's endorsements at KSGF.com. A couple of text messages. When Trump becomes a GOP nominee, Mike Pence should be Exhibit A as to why Trump should pick a Veep that is not nor has ever been part of Congress. Ron DeSantis or Christy Nome would be his best bet. While I voted for Trump in 16 and 2020, I certainly had hesitation because of Pence. I would again hesitate if he chose anyone as a VP from Congress. Another noting, funny, some of the Dems that are telling Israel not to fight back they're not telling Ukraine the same thing. It's an interesting observation. There are a number of Democrats, a lot of the sob squad, that have taken the position that you know, well, it just needs to stop. We need to, don't you know? They, they they couch the "don't fight back," the "don't defend yourselves," and uh, well, we just need to um, bring a, a stop to all of it and not escalate things. But that is similar to. Police getting a 911 call, and they show up uh, at a domestic abuse situation, and a husband has relentlessly, relentlessly beaten to the point of hospitalizing the wife, but then recommending that she really not press charges or talk back or anything, because it may escalate things. Um, that's not how it works. There's a good guy and there's a bad guy, as there is in this situation as well. And so telling Israel when the enemy's goal is for the extinction of you, that you should de-escalate. There's no de-escalating with people who want you dead. They do not de-escalate. They contain, and they fully have said, this, this is never going to stop until Israel is gone. There have also been numerous organizations 
and uh, uh, people that are celebrating this. Of course, Iran's supreme leader calling for the eradication of Israel. Uh, you have a Washington Post columnist celebrating the terrorism as exactly what they mean when they see decolonization. Washington Post columnist who once led the paper's international opinion section lent support to the attack saying, yeah, this is what we mean when we say decolonize. Harvard student organizations claim Israel is entirely responsible for the terrorist attack. Code Pink, an organization that has always portrayed itself as being anti-war and that got its great notoriety after it was embraced by Democrats and embraced by the media because of Cindy Sheehan, its, quote, leader, and her anti-Bush rhetoric, that organization has endorsed the terrorist attack on Israel. And the Democratic Socialist of America cheer Hamas terrorist uh, of Israel, the New York Post, reports via an op-ed attributed to its editorial board that the Democratic Socialist of uh, America supporters are urged to wear a mask so you're not recognized uh, while out supporting through protests the terrorist attack on Israel. Oh, and Kylie Jenner deleted an Instagram post showing support for Israel as critics flooded her comment section supporting the terrorist instead. So, you know, you got to take that even approach. There is um, encouraging numbers. I'm going to share some of this coming up. We are going to talk with Congressman Burleson here in a few moments. Trump trending ahead of Biden in key battleground states and nationwide. Quote, his odds getting better. Nathan Klein, pollster for On Message, Inc., told the Daily Caller News Foundation Trump can absolutely win a general election. That has always been true, but his odds get better every day Joe Biden is president. He noted the positive movement for Trump we've been seeing in the presidential race seems real. I wouldn't go so far as to say Trump has an outright advantage yet, as many of the swing state polling leads are within the margin of error, but Trump certainly is experiencing a bump. Helped by some political environment factors and the current perception of the incumbent president, nearly 70% of Americans feel the country is on the right track, and Biden's approval rating sits at around 40%. Across the states, with the narrowest var margins of victory in 2020, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Trump is leading Biden in the polls 41 to 35 on average. That according to a mid-September Reuters Ipsos poll. Trump is leading Biden by two points in Pennsylvania, which, of course, is crucial in deciding the 2020 election, according to a Quinnipiac University uh, survey released Wednesday. And we talked about that. The former president also beat Biden 48 to 39 among independent voters, which is a tremendous lead in Georgia. Trump is ahead of Biden 47 to 38. That is a nine point lead in Georgia. This according to, again, Rasmussen reports, a survey released September 15th. The former president is also beating Biden in North Carolina by four points, a nearly three-point gain from where Trump won the state in 2020. Klein said it's important to remember that Trump only lost Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin by about 40,000 votes combined. 
So the assumption that Biden could cruise to re-election if Trump becomes the nominee was flawed from the start. That aside, Biden's numbers have been dropping recently across the board. Crime, immigration, his rampant mismanagement of crisis after crisis, and we're probably going to see that play out in the Middle East already, the fact that Iran, the main backer, and fully acknowledging that they support this and gave the green light for it financially, having a tremendous impact. The fact that the Biden administration chose to unfree $6 billion, which they fully said, we're going to use this for whatever we want. Today, around 60% of Americans disapprove of Biden handling of immigration, the highest that we've seen throughout his presidency. Noting that according to a late September McLaughlin and associate survey, Trump would be Biden 47 to 43 in a national head-to-head matchup, and the former president is advantaged more with third-party candidates in the mix. Of course, again, it doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy walk, but this continued idea that it does, I will argue, it is diminishing. We are hearing less and less that Trump is the one Republican who can't beat Biden and more and more about concerns that Biden, and this is even coming from Democrats, does not have what it takes to beat Trump. And things are continuing to trim or to trend in that fashion. We're going to talk with Congressman Burleson coming up here in just a couple of moments. Right now, the latest news update. Good morning. I'm Keller 10 in Fox 49's Jesse Inman. Police chased a man through the Springfield National Airport after a witness says they saw him with a machete. The witness told airport police they saw a man standing near his truck with the weapon. When officers approached, he drove across airport property, ramming through a gate and ending up on the airfield. He then ran inside the terminal and was arrested. UAW leaders say they are making progress toward ending the strike against the big three automakers. It's been over three weeks that workers have been on strike, including more than 4,000 workers at the GM plant in Wentzville, Missouri. There are still more than 25,000 union members on strike. And federal offices, banks, and post offices will be closed today in observance of Columbus Day. For Color 10 and Fox 49, I'm Jesse Inman. The first alert forecast sponsored by Navant, employee benefits that work from Color 10, Fox 49, meteorologist Tom Schmidt, sunny 70 today, clear 44 for low tonight, tomorrow sunshine with a high of 73. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. A couple of things for you to know, particularly regarding KSGF.com. Uh, local for Less, this Friday, 10 a.m. at KSGF.com Getaway Golf. Uh, just 19 bucks. You and a guest enjoy the most exciting miniature golf course in the Ozarks for only 19 That's normally a $38 value. Of, uh, we've done some events there. It is a fantastic place. And so that'll be a great deal for you there. Also, when you have the app, you will get the notification on Friday about the KSGF Godfather's deal. While at KSGF.com, you can sign up for a pizza party. Uh, with Godfathers, and I announced earlier, gonna I've got coming up on November 4th, which is a Saturday, a theater, and I'm going to, they Alamo, this is Alamo Draft House, and they're like, yeah, you can just, you know, have some friends over and show a movie, and so you can register for you and a guest to join me, and I'm going to show, or they're going to show, my, my request, Burbs. If you haven't seen this movie, I definitely recommend you sign up. It is one of my all-time favorites from when I was a kid. 
uh, Tom Hanks, Corey Feldman, Carrie Fisher, Bruce Dern, among others. And it is just such a, a great and I think underrated movie. And that will be, again, coming up on Saturday, November 4th. So get yourself registered at KSGF.com. want to welcome Congressman Burleson. He is with us this morning. And I had initially anticipated, which we still, of course, will talk about the speakership situation. I did see that... Uh, one of the names that was in the running, let's see here, uh, has a bowed out. That would be Republican Oklahoma Representative Kevin Hearn. Uh, it appears as if the tide is moving towards Jim Jordan. But before we do get to that, I want to get your thoughts on the war that has been declared on Israel. Yeah, it's it's awful. It's atrocious. Um it's horrific what's happening and you know this israel is is a nation that needs needs america but america also needs israel um we israel has is one of our is probably our closest ally on the world stage they are a shining example within the middle east of of what a republic what freedom looks like freedom of religion freedom of speech all of those things, and it, and because of that, the communities around them hate, hate Israel, and so, uh, you know, so the United States, if we believe in these principles, and then, and, and we believe in free trade, we need to, it is strategically, and I think morally, and as a Christian, it's an imperative that we defend the people of Israel, and so, uh, that's that's where I stand. Now, I think that the foolishness of the Biden administration and of leftists, um, it, all, of the, all of the blood is on their hands because their naivety of saying we're gonna, we can give billions of dollars or allow for billions of dollars to be transferred to Iran and say, but, we, but that money has to be, is earmarked for you know, humanitarian aid. Right. Well, that's hogwash. And anybody that understands, and I mean, talk to Darren Chappell, who's managed funds for government entity, and he can tell you in great detail about how when you have, when you get money that's dedicated to one resource, you, that means you no longer have to dedicate funds to that resource. Now you've got funds that are freed up for whatever you want to use it for. And so us giving $6 billion for food, or electricity, whatever it is, that means Iran now has $6 billion to, to give to Hezbollah and Hamas so that they can continue to do acts of terror. And when they say that, oh, this, this money wasn't transferred, well, that's, we, we know that's a lie because both Iran is taking credit for sending the money and Hez, uh, Hamas is, taking, is thanking Iran for sending them the money. Well, and not to mention, uh, within a week, I think it was just a couple of days after you had the Biden administration saying, oh, no, 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 that money's earmarked for humanitarian purposes. Uh, the leader of Iran sat down with Lester Holt and he goes, oh, no, we're going to decide what we do with that money. <laughs> and so they even were like, we're not even going to pretend. So it was very, very clear. I tell you, and, and I've, I've talked about I talked about it when when the election occurred and uh, Biden is getting sworn in. And to me, one of the most 
just gravely disappointing aspects of that was the progress that was being made with the Abraham Accords under the Trump administration. And it's just so sad because of the anti-Trump sentiment, the credit that isn't given there, not for the sake of giving Trump credit, but look, looking at, oh, we found something that works, something that the elites had said could never happen. Uh, John Kerry very specifically said it was foolish to believe any country without the Palestinians leading the charge would ever sign any sort of peace agreement with Israel, that it would never happen. And here, you know, one country, two countries, three, Saudi Arabia was largely expected to be the next one that was going to enter into an agreement. And then to watch just that dismissed and and go back to the old ways. And, And here we are. I mean, it's just, it's infuriating because it's so predictable. It is. And it's, you're seeing this administration, their foolish policies, they're having to backtrack on all of these horrific decisions that they've made. So this decision about about, um, trying to work peace and trying to uh, uh, relax sanctions on Iran, well, now we see the fruit of that, Okay. Uh, compare that to what Trump did. And so, you know, Trump isolated the terrorists. He he isolated Hamas mm-hmm. and Hezbollah so that countries like like Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Lebanon, or I'm sorry, Jordan, would want to do business with Israel rather than do business with these these terrorist groups. And but so there's that that issue. Now you're going to see Biden backpedal on this, yeah. on his policy. And and apologize, I mean, apologize for what he's been doing. He should take ownership of the mistake, but instead he's going to lie and say it wasn't his. The, then the other thing they're backtracking on is all this is the defund the police movement. So, it, because you're seeing Democrats mm. in in Washington D.C. get carjacked, you're getting Democrats get mugged in elevators. These are congressional members, so it's it's hard to say that this has worked. <laughs> you know, know that this. When you yourself are getting mugged and or carjacked, and so they're now backpedaling on that, right? Oh, we never wanted to defund the police. Well, that that was a lie. And, I mean, they're even backpedaling on their policy to relax the the clothing rules in the Senate uh, for Fetterman. I mean, they are backpedaling on all of their really dumb ideas. And the border. They're backpedaling on the border. It kills me when you you have this approach that we hear from so many, and well, and it's it it's been the consistent approach. That is that this idea, the premise is that somehow there is the ability to treat both sides as if they just want something different, and if we just figure it out, they could coexist. And it's I think of it as a parole board, and you have some crazed child killer that somehow comes up for parole, and he says, yeah, just so you know, I want to kill as many kids as possible. Now, in all likelihood, they're going to deny that parole. but And that's what these organizations like Hamas and Iran and these others say about Israel. No, we want them all dead. We will not rest till they're destroyed. Yet we take this approach of like, well, okay, now let's see if we can figure out some compromise here. You can't compromise. They tell you what they want. It's so frustrating. It is frustrating. And then the other part of this is that we have allowed, because of these open borders and our open border policies and allowing for people to immigrate here, we've allowed a lot of people who are aligned with Hamas 
to enter into the United States. And just for, for example, there was a pro-Israeli rally that occurred in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I don't know if you saw the news for this. And pro-Hamas people came to attack and, uh, and confront a pro-Israeli rally. This, I mean, that should wake everybody up right. in the I United know. States that we, this, this open border has allowed everyone in, including people that are from hateful countries, from terrorist-run org- countries like, like the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and, and Hamas to enter into the United States, uh, people that hate our values and hate the values of the Israeli people. We're talking with Congressman Burleson. Uh, I do want to get your thoughts on the the speakership situation. Uh, it to me it appears as you have more people coming out all over the place, uh, from Gates to Trump to Mace, uh, saying that Jim Jordan he seems like a guy that we can all get around. Uh, I can't help but wonder if what's happening in Israel may not expedite this, the idea, whether it in reality or it's a perception deal that, you know, not having that official leadership in place is is not something that is um, uh, convenient at this time, if that, that may help expedite things. And if you would, I know we, we had you on after this happened, we had you on before this happened and ask you every time, but... I, you know, I, I, people that don't hear that, they're like, hey, ask him why he supported, you know, keeping McCarthy in there, why he didn't vote to boot him out. So if you could, again, reiterate that briefly and then your thoughts on this speaker race and how you think it'll play out. Yeah, the, it's an easy answer, that, which is that we have very, very limited time. And if you, by having, not having speaker, we have lost two weeks of, of, the, of the five weeks that we had to pass the 12 appropriation bills. To me, it was very poor timing. To me, it's like, as I said, it, you're at the end of the game. You've got two minutes left. Don't fire the coach when you've got two minutes left. It just will put you in more disarray. Wait till the time clock runs out and then make an assessment, um, which that, would have been five, you know, right. five weeks. Right. So th- at that point, it, I, I would have been willing to join the effort. But to me, it just was way, it was, it was too early, with, especially with such limited time left um, to pass these 12 appropriation bills. That being said, the silver lining here is that we have the possibility of electing someone that I never thought I know. would have had a chance. <laughs> I know. Jim Jordan. I never <laughs> thought Jim Jordan would have a chance. But you're seeing, here, here's the dynamic, Nick, is that the pe- people who would never have voted for Jim Jordan because he's too conservative – there, there is a, uh, they, and those individuals who are pro, who were pro McCarthy, they, there was a tension between McCarthy and Scalise, and McCarthy's people, people that are loyal to McCarthy, don't want to turn the reins over to Scalise. Mm. Um, they, they want, it. they want someone that's not Scalise. So that dynamic is causing Jordan to get votes from, uh, I mean, moderates, yeah. like uh, uh, Fitzpatrick. Um, I'm sorry, Fitz. Yeah, Fitzgerald. One of the Fitzes. Right. <laughs> uh, who's a? Mo- <laughs> I'm new. There's 435 of them. I forget. But uh, the, you know, there's been several moderates. In fact, um, one of the Democrat from not Democrat. One of the Republicans from New York, who is part of the Main Street Conference, um, has come out and, and endorsed Jim Jordan. Um, 
It, George Santos came out and endorsed, endorsed Jim Jordan. Well, yeah, Mace, uh, she, I saw, came out, and she's considered to be not con, uh, conservative. Um, where did right, I see? Yeah. right. So, so it just it, it appears more. And I think also Scalise's health issue is something that um, it's understandably con, uh, concerning, um, not just for the speakership position, but for him as well. I think a lot of people who are compassionate, they see what Biden's family's doing to him and saw what you know was done to Feinstein, these people that that you know it appears as if they it's just not a humanitarian thing to do to force people into positions where health wise they probably shouldn't be. And while Scalise isn't at that position, but you know, it can take a toll and and I don't know that there isn't that that doesn't figure in with a lot of people that you know it's just not right. Yeah, I, I, the person that only he can make that decision right. for himself. Right. Yeah, and I guess um, if he's asking for it, you know, I mean the position. Yeah, and he's and he's already in a position of the being the floor right. leader. Yeah, which demands quite a bit of work. That's and true. Fundraising. To, Nick, I'll give you an idea. The guy before he was diagnosed with it that morning, he was in Springfield going to two fundraiser meetings for me. Yeah, and then. And he and he was tired. I could tell something wasn't right. Um, and and later on that day, he he went. He flew home and then got testing and found out that he had cancer. Oh. And then and then in D.C., I had had uh, just two weeks ago a reception fundraiser planned where he was going to be the the headliner for that. And and I everyone in the world thought, no way he'll show up. You know, he's he's in the middle of chemo. He showed up, you know, wow. and, and that's just remarkable how much yeah. strength and uh, really the will that he has. So, look, I, I, I think that either way, whether it's Scalise or Jordan, it, these are going to be great leaders to get behind. So have you decided? I, I, I don't know that I even ask you. I have, but, you know, out of respect, I'm going right. to – and because – because my endorsement, I, nobody knows who I am other than people in Southwest Missouri. Right, right, right. But I, I would only probably create an enemy if I publicly came out. And so I feel like uh, my vote is what's important, and I'm just going to um, – I'm not going to influence any other members of Congress right. is what I'm trying to well, say. Well, and let me ask uh, this before we let you go. Um, it, how does this play out? Is there a closed? I, I I heard that there was going to be sort of, and maybe this is traditionally the way that it works: a closed door meeting, and need, they're all going to pitch themselves. Which at this point, is it just Scalise and, and Jordan? And how does this logistically play out now? Yeah, so there's going to be a meeting tonight. Tonight, I think is going to be the gripe session. I'm not going because <laughs> there's no votes and there's no decisions that are going to come out of tonight. It's just going to be a a bloodletting. And then tomorrow is when we will have the, 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 the speaker candidates give their uh, speeches. And then the following days when we'll have the vote. So we, we don't, we really don't even vote until, until I think Thursday. Okay. All right. No, Wednesday. Um, and so I, I plan to be there for that. And, uh, how is, you know, it's pretty obvious who I'm going to vote for. I mean, I right. was endorsed by Jim Jordan. Uh, he was the founder of Freedom Caucus. I'm a member of Freedom Caucus. I just don't um, 
Um, well, I, no, I also I want to hear, but I also want to hear those speeches, and I want to hear the plan going forward from both Jim and from Steve Scalise. And final question: uh, So, how is it decided? If if you if there are two individuals, and maybe behind closed doors, uh, counting the numbers, it really isn't known. So, it is something that's going to have to be decided by vote. How what what logistically occurs that determines who gets the first vote, whether that's Jim Jordan or Scalise? So we mean gets the first vote like because at some point, right, there will be, I guess, a name submitted. And OK, so we're going to vote on, let's say, Scalise. And then if he doesn't get enough, then. Oh, yeah. no, it doesn't work that way. Okay. They're going to hand out a ballot and okay. everybody it's a secret ballot. And then you'll write the name of the person on the on the ballot and then they will count them and then they'll declare who got what. And, and so the and then what everyone is saying conferences, there's a lot of people that are not wanting to leave that meeting until one person gets 218 okay. votes. Got it. Now that that if that's if that's really pressed and that becomes the actual rule, that could change everything because if it becomes clear after several rounds of votes that neither Scalise or Jordan can get to two eighteen, then then you may have a, like a dark horse candidate come okay. in to so, try to split the difference. So that'll be the sort of behind closed doors stuff that occurs. Correct. Yes. Okay. Got it. All yes. right. Excellent. Hey, listen. Appreciate it. I know it's got a lot going on uh, this week for you, and we look forward to talking to you definitely next week, if not before, if things you know happen. So. Yes. All right, Congressman yes. Burleson. Anytime. Yep. Nick. Hey, absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. 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 Springfield's Talk 104.1. I'm Nick Reed. We're making new investments to enhance the transparency of Ukraine's institutions and to bolster the rule of law. This is Springfield's Talk 1041. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Coming up, Joe Biden has a moment. We all know what that means. It was Friday. He was answering questions. One of the questions he was asked why Americans just don't understand how great we have it under him. And it's clear halfway through he forgets what he is talking about. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. First alert forecast from Color 10, Fox 49, meteorologist Tom Schmidt. Sunny 70 today, 44 tonight, 73 tomorrow. Uh, over 50 student groups in Harvard alone blame the Jews in Israel for the terrorist attack against them. This is People are finding this shocking. There's a... A Daily Caller story, an insane number of Ivy League students are blaming Israel for the Hamas attacks as even children are being tortured and raped. I, this doesn't surprise me at all. I, I don't think people recognize that universities, the vast majority of universities in this country, have become camps for indoctrinating young minds into liberal ideology. This should come as no surprise. I'm not surprised in the least. On Friday, Joe Biden was allowed, so we think, anyway, I suppose he was allowed. It was a pre-promoted press conference. And among other things, he was ta- you know, he talked about the wall and asked, why are you building the wall if uh, you say a wall won't work? And he said, I was told I have to. Um, so you are the president, right? 
He was also asked why it was that people just don't understand how good his policies, economically speaking, have been for them. And we have another one of these moments that are just brilliant for the world to watch to see that we have a leader who can't talk for more than 60 seconds without forgetting what it is he's even talking about. Mr. President, you started your remarks here today by saying it was good news today with the economic report. Why do you think most people still don't feel positive or feel good news about the economy? Well, first of all, you just heard the news today, too. They haven't heard it. I think the people, those 300-plus thousand people who got jobs feel better about the economy. I'd look, i got to choose my words here. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What's your report? And I mean it sincerely. It gets some more little you get more legs when you're reporting something's negative. I don't mean I don't mean you're picking on me or I'm just the nature of things. You turn on the television and there's not a whole lot about boy saves dog as he swims in the lake, you know. To say, you know, it's about, you know, somebody pushed the dog in the lake. I mean I, I, I get it, but If you just listen to what's going on around the world, there's reason for people to be concerned. There's reason for people to be concerned what's going on with in Russia. There's reason to be concerned about what's going on in other parts of the world. I think that the American people are smart as hell and know what their interests are. I think they know they're better off financially than they were before. It's a fact. And all the all that data, all that polling stuff shows they think. All right, so there's Biden. And he's asked, and he rounds it out by talking about what's going on in Congress with the leadership and, uh, you know. He's asked about the fact that the poll numbers show that people do not like the direction we're headed economically. And he starts, of course, by claiming that somehow the press is against him, essentially, that that they're always going on and on about how bad the economy is. The press has done everything they can to cover for the The press, for the longest time, did everything they could in order to try to convince people that it wasn't that bad. And then there's a you know good 10-second pause, and you can see... In his eyes, he he does not know what he's talking about. So he starts talking about Russia and things that are going on. But then he comes back to he, talking about the economy and how the polls show that people support where we are economically. When the whole premise of the question was the fact that they don't do that. I, and it's because, again, while he is someone that is detached from the truth, I think he forgot. I know he did. He forgot what the question was about in the first place. He didn't make it 60 seconds. We have gone from a presidency in which Joe Biden, any given time he would speak, people would wonder, is this going to be a time in which we we see the, 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 the problem to where now, I don't know that there is an instance in which we don't see it. It is it is seemingly every single time. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. 
And of course, absolutely do not forget all of your home buying and selling needs. Emily Johnson, House Theory Realty. We talked about her birthday last week, and I saw she posted, Will, her husband, his birthday. Uh, it was just a couple of days after hers. Of course, he does work with House uh, Theory Realty as well. And if you are in that industry and you don't have a home that you feel is helping you maximize the work you can do as a realtor, I definitely recommend you reach out to them. 90% of commissions, no matter how much uh, you sell, you get the mentorship and all sorts of uh, additional perks that they can talk with you about. Uh, that will definitely give you an advantage over others in the market. All of your home buying and selling needs, Emily Johnson, House Theory Realty. Today, of course, Columbus Day. But even though I have a little calendar in my office, physical calendar, I notice it has Indigenous People Day. And oftentimes, this well, and it's the, the, the rationale behind uh, the, the dropping of Columbus Day in exchange for Indigenous People Day was because Columbus was a mean guy and he did slavery and stuff like that. Well, never, well, I shouldn't say never. This is a grand example of the lack of information and education on these particular issues that we have, because guess what? Native Americans were slave owners as well, and they were some of the most brutal, brutal warriors that humanity has ever seen. The Washington Examiner, in fact, has a brief piece on this, noting that the this is this is from a couple of years ago. The history of humanity humanity is a horrifying tale, filled with filled with every evil one. Could possibly imagine. Most of human history is poverty, tyranny, and violence. Centuries of unbelievable suffering today is a rare exception. For whatever reason, humans have always had the innate thirst to conquer one another. This has been the case for all civilizations throughout history, but today's leftists want to revise history to fit their agenda. They act as if history began in 1492 and focused solely on incidents in which white people are the bad guys and the aggressors. They constantly reference slavery but ignore the fact that black people owned slaves in the United States or that the slave trade began in Africa. It's why you were never taught about the many instances in history in which people of color massacred one another. They vilify people such as Christopher Columbus for genocide and slavery as if Native American tribes had not been committing similar atrocities against one another for centuries by the time Columbus arrived. The clash of civilizations of the North American continent merely mirrored many such events throughout the history of humanity. Long before Columbus, many historians agreed. The Native American tribes committed atrocities against one another, thirsting for power and land and killing anyone who stood in their way long before any European settlers even set foot on the continent. Consider the words of Columbus in his journal. Upon arriving in San Salvador, he wrote, I saw some with scars and wounds upon their bodies, that there came people from the other islands in the neighborhood who endeavored to make prisoners of them, and they defended themselves. With the indoctrination that routinely occurs in our schools, even predating such contemporary silliness as CRT, our education system seldom touches on the darker side of Native American history. Yet numerous scholars have documented that brutality, the brutality against one another. Harvard scholar Steven Pinker wrote that indigenous societies were far more violent than our own. In War Before Civilization, the myth of the peaceful savage, anthropologist Lawrence Keeley wrote, the dogs of war were seldom on a leash among Native American societies. 
Renowned historian Bernard Balin described pre-Columbian America as, quote, not a terribly peaceful world. They were always involved in warfare. Moreover, Balin described how Native Americans sought to control and exploit Europeans for their own gain and self-interest. Quote, the Indians had the view they wanted to use the Europeans. They wanted the English there on the fringe so they would have the benefit of their treasure, their goods, even their advanced weapons. They wanted that, but under their control. In other words, many Native Americans viewed European settlers as useful in their broader fight to kill and enslave other Native Americans. Their aims were no better or worse than those of many Europeans. Humans, always looking to exploit their fellow beings for their own gain, it is a tale as old as time. Consider the Chippewa and what could be dubbed the original Trail of Tears they forced the Sioux from their land in present-day Minnesota. In turn, the Sioux massacred the Omaha, the Kiowa, and the Pawnee, lusting for their resources and their territory. Consider the Aztecs. Schools teach the story of Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortez conquering the Aztecs, but they omit the two centuries of Aztec ruthfulness that preceded this and convinced many other tribes to fight alongside Cortez. The Aztecs had an enormous empire with a long history of raping women, pillaging, enslavering neighbor tribes to build their empire. Historic accounts of the Aztecs also reveal an industry of human sacrifice unlike any other in the entire world. They punished homosexuality with the death penalty and habitually murdered women. Some Indigenous People Day celebrations are even honoring the Aztecs, even though they make the Spanish look like genuine humanitarians. Such is the level of historical ignorance involved here. These stories are not taught in history classes. They're not offered as a comparison when discussing Columbus or any other European explorer. They're swept under the rug so that the false narrative that American Indian or that Native Americans were a peaceful group living off the earth and unnecessarily attacked by the white man and exterminated. And while there are elements of truth to this, it's important to know that Native Americans were doing the exact same thing to one another. The narrative promoted in schools that Native Americans were a peaceful society before the appearance of Europeans is a fanciful myth. Civilizations rise and they fall. People of all colors and all races commit atrocities and deserve equal condemnation. Please, let's stop demonizing Europeans for historical crimes that we all share in common. Anyone who knows the truth of, as this lays out, the Native American experience and how it is identical to all other human experiences when it comes to human atrocities, recognizes the absurdity of replacing Columbus Day with Indigenous People Day as some sort of swipe against those who commit human atrocities. Glenn Beck's next. I'm Nick Reed.